You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. All right, I think uh, most everybody here this morning has attended an application Sunday before, but just as a refresher, the reason that we do this is it gives us an intentional time to really focus on the things that God's been teaching us, remind ourselves about some of the application points uh, as a means of holding ourselves accountable to not just hearing the word, but being a doer of the word. And so, um, Rather than just continuing to plow through sermon after sermon after sermon, it gives us a chance to, to know that there's a built-in time frame for our church to stop, pause, no new information today, just a recapping of the old um, with the intent of really being heavily focused on what are we doing with this, this content, with what God has said to us in his word. And so um, we like to do it in a way where uh, we read back through some of the passages that we've been looking at, we try to do this every seven to eight weeks. Um, and so the last time we did this, we were in John chapter one. So we'll start uh, with John chapter one, uh, verse 35. It says the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the lamb of God, the two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Our summary sentence from this week when we talked about John one thirty-five through 51 is that Jesus chooses us to follow him, changes us radically in the process, and then equips us to call others to come experience him as well. And so we see that through the initial calling of some of these disciples. They come, and and Jesus talks about the change that's going to occur in their life. Uh, They begin to experience that change, and they're equipped to then go get their friends, their acquaintances. They start to call people to this same mindset of following Jesus. And so One of the things we emphasized that week was talking about um, that we need to act on the teaching that we are experiencing, that it started with um, with these two who were under John the Baptist, who who had been paving the way, preparing the way for Jesus, so that when Jesus shows up, they're ready to immediately act on an application of that teaching that John the Baptist had been giving them, right? And so we talked about um, always placing ourselves in a context, whether it's this church or another church where we're not just taught the word, but we're called to apply it in some form or fashion within our life, that we're given clear ways to do that so that we're not just filling our heads with knowledge, that we're seeking to apply that knowledge, we're seeking to act out that knowledge, we're seeking to have that knowledge 
affect our heart and therefore affect our actions. And so uh, we talked about acting on the teaching that you receive, sharing what you're learning with others, particularly family members, right? We said that sometimes people fall into this trap of thinking that uh, family members are the worst people to try to reach other family members, that for a variety of reasons, because they know you, they know your history, they know your struggles, that maybe they won't receive the gospel as well from you as they may would from somebody else. But we talked about in Scripture, the pattern seems to be that family members respond very well to other family members presenting the gospel, that it's one person getting saved, and then the whole household believed and was baptized. And we certainly see that to be true here, where brothers are pulling brothers into the picture to follow Jesus. And so we should be careful to shy away from thinking that we can impact our family members. We talked about being willing to listen to people in our life who call us to do things as well, right? That Nathaniel um, responds to, to something that he's initially a little hesitant to, but, but uh, has people in his life that he's willing to listen to, people that share a different perspective maybe. And so um, some of these guys don't experience Jesus personally first. They respond to an invitation, and we need people like that in our life too that we're willing to listen to them when they call us to do something challenging. Um, and then we talked about the idea of inviting skeptics, that uh, just because somebody is initially resistant or initially hesitant to receive our message, it doesn't mean that we need to be done with that situation, that sometimes the best way to interact with a skeptic is not to have all the answers to those questions, but to come to invite them to come and experience the life change of some of the things that we're talking about. So uh, the application that week was to share your testimony with someone that needs it, and so today, I want us to just take a second to pause and, and give you an opportunity to maybe share of any recent gospel conversations that you've had, or maybe any people that you're trying to invite to church, somebody who is a skeptic who you've reached out to, um, that we could kind of be aware of to be praying about with you um, as you seek to reach them and have them maybe come and experience what uh, the new life in Christ looks like um, here within the context of the local church. So anybody feedback on recent gospel conversations that you've had, people that you've had a chance to share your testimony with or share the gospel with, or maybe some attempts that you've made to invite somebody to church, somebody who's maybe viewed as a skeptic by you. Any thoughts on that? Um, I have a friend from high school who is um, in the Mormon church, um, has been her whole family. and um, So we've recently started... Um, trying to open up with each other about what we believe. Um, it's really difficult because she agrees with everything I say, but I know like with her Mormon background, it's not the same. Um, so we've been kind of studying through <coughs> Philippians together a little bit. Um, but with the study of John, I've been trying to go deeper, specifically when we had the Sunday um, about Nicodemus. Um, I was excited to tell her about Nicodemus and about how Jesus specifically says, you know, you can't, it's, it's not what you do, it's not who you are, it's not how good you are, it's only through me. Um, we're doing this on a video chat back and forth through the Marco Polo app, and I haven't heard her response to that specific video, um, but I'm hoping this week that I will. Um, anyway, so you can pray that, like, just the Lord will enlighten her to understand we're talking about two different gospels um because she's still not there yet she doesn't get that yet so okay. other feedback people you've been able to engage the gospel with kids? 
She's been trying to tell her friend at school that she really would like her to come here. Oh, awesome. She doesn't go to church, so. Awesome. That's great, Amy. Yeah. I had a great conversation with one of my sons. Um, it started over discussion of the heartbeat bill, and uh, we were just discussing it and what it would do and how it would change things, and he has the opinion, you know, that humans are basically like animals, and so we got to discuss differences, like the differences were created in the image of a savior, of a god. So it was a really good conversation. Hopefully, he'll think. I'm just getting to think. <laughs> uh, shortly after I mentioned the lady that son is in Maggie and Jack's tennis class, and I was able to share the gospel with her. Um, but then I've been a little bit discouraged because after a few really great conversations, she hasn't been coming out anymore because her daughter's taking swim inside. Um, but I know that God's in control of um, that, but so our conversations haven't been as frequent. She's she's made it clear that she is not willing to accept the gospel but she is going to a bible study where she's learning English uh, it's one of the churches in Peachtree City so she learns English and then she also goes to this bible study so she had a lot of questions about things that she's heard there and um, she's continuing to hear things uh, at, at the bible study um, we have a neighbor that uh, just bought a house right beside us and um, I can't remember her name right now. She's trying to pull it up, but um, we were like we were grilling hot dogs the other week, and she, her, and she has a dog, and we have a dog, and they play together. Well, she just like so she comes over because she's been there, and we um, just asked her the question like, "Have y'all found a church, you know, recently that uh, since she's moving in the new neighborhood?" Her name's Lauren. And she said, no, we don't really go to church. I said, oh, okay. And she just opens up with her kind of like testimony how she grew up Jewish and she doesn't really like going to church because people are judgy and feel like the majority of, you know, can't practice what they preach type thing. And, you know, so it like the Lord really opened up a door and I shared with her my testimony and my experience with church and but also what Christ did. Uh, about three or four years ago and she was just kind of just didn't know really what to say and I asked her you know what her response was to that and she wanted to think think about it and talk with her husband her husband's in the military he's gone for four or five months at a time um, but she showed some interest of wanting to know more and to possibly come here I told her I said like we don't go to like a typical church you know it's not it's not that judgy atmosphere that you're probably used to. Um, so we're praying for her. We're praying for Lauren. Um, she shared some needs that she has. Um, so, like one of them is just cutting her grass while her husband's gone. They don't. She doesn't know how to cut grass. So like, I'll cut her grass while I cut my grass. And we're just praying that like she asks questions or um, maybe the Lord will spark that conversation back up and we can like really be intentional with planting that seed because it was like a partial seed planted but it wasn't really like 
the full breakdown of the gospel, the power of it, and the you know uh, that was kind of an introduction, but not like a really planting the seed and looking for a response. You know, yeah. so her name's Lauren. We're praying for we're praying for them. So I approached my sister during a similar conversation. She's uh, converted to Islam. Um, and recently, a few months ago, we started an email conversation that she started with me, actually. Um, and I have been very hesitant with her. I don't know why. Um, but we've always been able to, to speak about the Lord, speak about God, just in general. We've always been able to agree on some of those things. But um, since our study in John, I have been more intentional about making sure I specify Jesus Christ as my Savior. And her last email to me um, talked about works and how works gets us, gets us into heaven. So I was able to respond with the message of salvation and the assurance of salvation that I have in Christ. So I feel pleased with that. I'm very nervous. I haven't heard a response. <laughs> but no. the Lord has has it now. Let me just encourage you to be sensitive as we continue to, to work through the Gospel of John, sensitive to opportunities to simply be obedient, to make yourself available even. You know, we didn't talk about anybody yet that, that is actually converted to following Christ, um, but we're just talking about some acts of obedience. And, and even the simplest acts of obedience are a step forward in ways that maybe previously we weren't even sensitive. Just to give you an example, um, yesterday we were at um, a festival in Sharpsburg, and they had this blow-up thing going on, and so a bunch of kids were playing in there, and then all of a sudden, it lost uh, it lost its ability to hold the air, and so, like, all of our kids are jumping around playing in it, and then it just starts to collapse, and, like, I can see my kid, I can see Mally, like, sinking into, like, the middle of it, and me and this other guy just start, like, grabbing kids, and we're, like, we're just rescuing them out of this blow-up thing, and, like, this, this older gentleman who's in charge of it's kind of running around, but he doesn't really know, like, what's happening, and so... We talked briefly, and then he went and sat um, at a picnic table. And so I'm standing there. It gets blown back up, and so I'm really honed in on my kids right now. And I just, for, I, don't, I don't feel like I have this happen the way that it did yesterday often, but I just felt like a prompting of, hey, would you be willing to go talk to that guy that you just had some interaction with about the gospel? And so I looked over there, and I was like, I am not doing that. Like, I don't even, like, this is a weird setting right, right now. Like, I don't even, and I just felt like a quick, real internal struggle of, like, would I even be willing to be obedient to go over there and talk to this guy? And so I, I immediately just said, you know what, I'm going to go see what happens. And, and I tell you that because I walk over there and he immediately just got up and left and I didn't see him again. So like we didn't even have a conversation. But I felt like there was a real call for me to be even obedient to go over there. And I was going over there with the intent of having a conversation that I wanted to turn spiritually. And that was the struggle part for me. Once I had made that commitment, I was ready to do that. And for whatever reason, he gets up and walks away, and I don't see him again the rest of the event. But for me, I felt a sense of, of God's pleasure in the sense that, man, I, I could have just said, I'm not going over there at all. And he still would have gotten up and left, but there was an act of obedience, I felt like, there. Again, the smallest piece. That guy's no closer to heaven than he was before that event, probably because of me. But maybe I'm a step closer to being sensitive to engage people 
that otherwise I would have been maybe oblivious to. But our study in John certainly helped prompt me in that direction to see that guy, especially in light of what we talked about last week, that they remain under God's wrath until, until they're, they're a part of the new birth. And so um, just encourage you to be sensitive to opportunities to be obedient. Again, our part of the process is not the supernatural part that changes lives. Our part of the process is to be obedient to, to help deliver that message. So I'm encouraged you to, to keep in that mindset as we move forward in our study and as we continue to have opportunities to engage with people. Second uh, sermon we're looking at today comes from John chapter 2, uh, verse 1. So let's look at that passage. It says, On the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water now, it became wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. We said, when it's consistent with his purpose and timing, Jesus has power to meet every need, frequently using us to help him do so. And as we see his power on display around us, it should lead us to believe in him more and more. And so we talked about that first part where Jesus' mother approaches him, kind of expecting him to do something with this situation, right? And we said that, that Jesus' response to her is, is that this may not fit into his purpose, right? And so it's a good reminder to us that, that God is capable of doing anything, but he's only going to do things that fit and align with his plans and purposes. And if they're outside of his plans and purposes, it's not because he lacks the ability to do something in that situation. It's just that he chooses not to because it doesn't fit what he is, what he is seeking to accomplish. And so um, that, that's where we had the discussion about you can have two people with cancer and God works to heal one and allows the other to pass away. Um, and it's not a reflection on God's ability to heal because obviously he can heal people from cancer. Um, both fit into his plans and purposes differently, though. In one case, the act of not healing fits into his plans and purposes. In the act of the other situation, the healing part fits into his purpose. And so it's a reminder to us to be satisfied and content with whatever God chooses to do in situations. Um, that, that he does one thing one way and he'll do a different thing a different way. Um, kind of consistent with what we see with the new birth, that the wind blows how it, how it wants to, and we can't always control that. We can't harness it and make it do what we want to do. It just does what God wants it to do, right? We talked about the, the servant's response here, the being willing to fill it to the brim, right? And this is something that I pitched to my teachers um, from, a, from a context of, of working at our school, that, that I wanted them to adapt a, a approach of when you receive instruction, whether that's from me or whether that's from even higher above me, that we have this perspective of, and let's, let's not just fill the jars, let's fill them all the way to the brim. Let's not ask to be, have to be asked to come back and fill it up a little bit more. And so I've even heard some of my teachers and some of the things that they're doing 
kind of challenging each other to do this, to, to fill it to the brim, to, to not come up a little bit short or, or not quite excellent. But when, when we're told to do something, to do it all the way um, with, with all of our hearts. And we talked about uh, believing more as he acts, that the disciples have already believed in Jesus, but we are told here at the end of the story uh, that the disciples believed in him again, with the idea being there that their belief deepened in him. It's not that they got saved again, right? But that their, their belief continued in him and it was deepened and strengthened because they saw him do something else. Um, and so they had this perspective of continuing to believe in him. And so I want us to have just a little bit of discussion about anything that, that God has maybe done in your life lately that has increased your belief in him, that can be shared with others so that all of our belief in him can be increased. So this is, this is an opportunity for you to just offer some praises, things that God has done over the last several weeks in your life, things that, that we can praise him for, things that um, will, will help increase our belief uh, because we see him moving and acting around us, not just in the past, but definitely in the present as well. So anybody have a, a story or, or an account that they'd like to share in regards to that? Um, y'all know about my mom's knee surgery, and I'm just, you know, she's 83 years old. She was in fairly good health whenever all the pain started and whatever, but you just wonder, you know, before going into the surgery, she had literally tried everything that the doctor, you know, shots and whatever else, and nothing was helping with any of the pain. And just being around her, you could just tell she was in pain all the time. Um, she moved really slowly, and you just wonder at that age, if she were to have this kind of surgery, how would she be able to bounce back from that at, you know, as old as she is? Um, and I have to say that we prayed beforehand, you know, for weeks and weeks. First of all, she would even have the surgery, and then it came up that they had to postpone it for a week because of the, um, you know, and you go like, why, God? We were all set for this day, and then it turned out she had some kind of medical situation that had to be corrected before she could go in for the surgery. But I will say that just having having you guys pray for her and and um, that she's really back, back really quick to the extent that we're talking about when you're going to do the next one. I don't think she's quite mentally there yet, and she needs to do a lot more, um, not so much physical therapy, but just strengthening, because this was her left leg, now strengthening her right leg to make it ready where she can go in and go right through that whole thing. It's just been amazing to me to think, you know, that with the hard work and the, and the prayers, of course, but just how quickly she's really bounced back from that. It's been yeah. amazing. We've seen um, a ton of improvement with Titus since we shared on realm about him. Um, he, like, loves his occupational therapist. Um, he's been really good with that. And um, this week especially, like, he's eating with a spoon by himself. <clears throat> Um, yeah, so I think like the last like two meetings she's come, uh, it's just been like really good. Um, she's come out and said like, man, this looks like a completely different kid like each time she comes. Um, that's just really encouraging. Oh, that's awesome. Um, you guys know that uh, a few weeks ago I had told you that I didn't make it in the nursing program. 
And I was really discouraged uh, about that because I didn't know what my plan was going to be moving forward because I didn't really have a plan B. Um, but uh, recently I just got a job with James Yevick. <laughs> yeah, I still wondered if it was a good decision. Um, but, uh, you know, it's it's been going really well, and, you know, I get to work alongside him, and he's really encouraging, and my new boss is really encouraging. Um, and as we were talking just a minute ago about, you know, we were sharing just a second ago, if we've had opportunities to share the gospel with people and have gospel conversations. And that guy shared the gospel with me. And uh, it was really, it was really, really refreshing. Because even though he knows that, like, I'm proclaiming Christianity and I want to be obedient to Jesus, he is still faithful to share the gospel. Because Christians still need the gospel um, for encouragement. Um, and so I, I was just thinking, like, man, it's so nice to be brought back to your first love for salvation. And, uh, I mean, the guy, just, like, excluding that, the guy's going to pay for me and James to get our associate's degrees in refrigeration. Um, so I wouldn't, I don't have to pay for school. And he's going to allow me to work full-time on salary through school. Um, so, praise the Lord, I didn't get into nursing school. The end. I'd say that the uh, last couple of weeks obviously have been unexpected for us, um, but what's been interesting is that the last C group that I was at, I was talking and we were wrapping up and I had some just small lung issues that we were investigating and I just said, hey, one thing that I think that the Lord is impressing upon me is that I just want to maybe take the next couple of weeks to try to f flip the complaints, complaints that I can so easily turn to and turn it into gratitude. I heard Piper talk about like the, the opposite of not complaining is not simply just being quiet. Like the goal is not to stop your complaining, it's to go full over into gratitude. And so I was sharing that with my small group and was just like, hey, I think over the next couple of weeks I'm gonna try to look for ways that I can be gracious or like grateful. And then, you know, two trips to the ER and a surgery later, like I've had plenty of opportunities to be grateful. Um, so the Lord has definitely been working in ways, even placing me next to people uh, overnight that have it way worse than me and hearing the nurse conversation to me and then hearing them go over there and have the conversation with them. I mean, like you said, there's sometimes his will to heal and sometimes it's not. I'm definitely thankful that this time it was to, to guide the doctors. It may not be next time, but I definitely have little to no complaints. So that's been a praise. Um, I mean, this isn't super recent, but just like how God handled everything uh, with Elliot last summer and last fall. And um, I mean, just in like when the doctor sat me down when I was being admitted and was like, you need four weeks. I don't think we'll make it to the weekend. And I was like, then you don't know my God because we're making four weeks. And um, I know Yvonne, um, she's, she's, a nursery. she's a nursery. Okay. So she went straight to women's dinner and you guys all prayed and we got our four weeks um and then in labor an hour away from a c-section and all of a sudden after no progress for four days we're having a baby and um 
And then most importantly, in, in my opinion, it's the night we went to Eggleston on a feeling, thinking he's physically fine, like there is no apparent reason to go, and his body temperature was dropping, and we had no idea because he still felt warm, and I don't know what would have happened if we hadn't gone. Um, so just like you can't, in my opinion, you can't look at that and say there's no God. Um, and I've used that and been able to like, um, my mom has been going through a lot since last summer of just like car breaking down, lots of stuff at our house going wrong. And she's in a very, she's in just in despair at this point. And like, I don't know why God's punishing me and why he's doing all this bad stuff. And I'm like, look at this baby, like look at everything. This is what matters um, and see how he provided here, so. Just the, um, just how I got to Kingston with the um, surgeon. You know, I went to church on a Wednesday night at Thomaston and, and didn't really want to go, but was encouraged. I met a lady was visiting there that was the chief neurosurgeon at MD Anderson, and he specialized in schwannomatosis, which there, uh, from him, he told me there are four in the world. So, um, so just God has continued to be with me through this whole process in, in mighty and profound ways. So this time last year in our accountability groups, it was me, Carolyn, Molly, Maggie, and Nicole, and we started praying specifically for the Lord to bring husbands to Molly and Maggie. And here we are a year later, mm -hmm. less than a year later. <laughs> and Maggie and Molly, we just had to celebrate them. That strengthened my faith so much to ask the Lord for something specific and us to come together and pray and see the Lord change John Mark's heart to bring Molly and Josh together. It just is so neat to look at that and see because it's only something that, that the Lord did. Um, and even with Tyson in the hospital, we prayed some specific things and the Lord it seems like the Lord answered every specific prayer that we had like we prayed that it would be easy and he would find the problem right away at the doctor and the doctor came out and said I thought it was very easy I found the problem right away like it was like word for word what we had prayed we prayed that he would have a male nurse because there's a lot of stuff and, <laughs> and he did he had a male nurse because his nurse was late that day and so like he, he his doctor even normally like to get an ablation you have to wait like months out and he just had an opening on thursday to fit tyson in first thing so i mean like there were so many specific things that we prayed it was like the lord answered those in such specific ways which continued to grow my faith and tyson's faith as well to just see that when we ask him for things he's good and faithful like even in the things that are bad i mean it's bad that he's having all these problems but even those things he's so good to us
I've had a situation for me personally, um, just over the past couple of months, I guess I've been struggling with just some temptations for discontentment in my life about some different aspects of, of, um, things with me. And, really hadn't even started praying for God to do anything specifically because it didn't look like there was even really a way for him to do anything um, in the ways that I would think about things. And um, some things have changed recently um, in regards to that. And so it's really cool to see that in a way that I thought it just wasn't even possible to even warrant a prayer about it, God kind of showed up and said, I can can do things that that you don't even know even how to pray about it um, for that. So it's been cool to see um, that over the last couple of weeks for, for my life. All right, let's look at um, John chapter 2, verse 12. And this was regards to the temple cleansing. A strong knowledge of Scripture will help us know when to be angry, guide our responses to criticism, and give us a strong foundation for ongoing belief. It says, After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the, pig- or, told those who sold the pigeons, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them, because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about him, for he himself knew what was in man." This week, or in this week, we talked about um, what it looks like to be angry at the things that make God angry, and that it's appropriate to be angry at the things that make God angry. We talked about the differences and how we even understand what anger looks like, that anger doesn't have to be a temper tantrum. It doesn't have to be losing your cool. Um, that's certainly not what happened here with Jesus, but there was certainly, I think, a clear outward expression of that anger. Other times there may not be an outward expression. Our anger can motivate us to do certain things and to do certain things because we are, are outraged at, at something that's going on that is not okay, that affects God's glory. And so we talked about what that looks like. Um, we talked about finding helpful things when it comes to criticism, um, that we said the Jewish people were rebuked and criticized by Jesus for how they were handling the temple. Um, And rather than assessing the rebukes and the criticisms that Jesus gave, they immediately jumped to whether or not Jesus was even qualified to criticize. So instead of saying, man, is there any truth in the criticism, which the whole thing was true, right? Um, They were very quick to try to assess, do you even have the right to tell me these things? And so looking at it from our side of things, I challenged us to, to be willing to assess criticism and to seek to find some level of truth or some aspect to change in response to that criticism, not just dismiss criticism too quickly. That I think sometimes we are very quick to, to go into defense mode and to overlook criticism and to think there's absolutely nothing true in the ways that we're being criticized. And sometimes we need to really look at the criticism and say, maybe there is some truth here. Uh, and certainly the Jews would have benefited from that. We also talked about not being allegiant to Jesus as long as he does things that we like. 
that here at the end of this passage, it talks about people showing an initial belief based on the signs that he was doing, but the, the, the way that the passage talks about these people is that they weren't true believers. They were kind of in as long as Jesus was doing things that, that impressed them, but as soon as those things would start to wane, their belief was going to wane as well. And so uh, it's, a, it's a reminder to us to be careful that we don't, we don't allow our allegiance to Jesus to be based off of whether or not he's acting and doing things that we approve of that ultimately our allegiance is to him and we trust his sovereignty, we trust his ways of doing things, and we're content with those things knowing that they're for our good. Um, As far as an application for us this morning, I'm curious to hear if anybody has received any criticism lately and has been able to respond with a level of humility to it and maybe take something away from it. And so you don't have to get into to details if you don't want to, but just curious if anybody's had an opportunity to receive criticism, and maybe in the past you would have easily dismissed it and, and tossed it out, but you, you were able to kind of pause, reflect, and maybe make some adjustments or changes, maybe not because the person was in a position even to criticize, but you found a level of truth in the criticism. Anybody have an, a, an account like that that maybe you could contribute? I had to write a paper for school that was um, a science-based paper that was supposed to be able to be understood by uh, 10th graders. And I got my feedback back. So I sent it in and got feedback from a 10th grader. And my initial response was, um, what is this guy talking about? Like, um, surely this isn't true. But then I sat down and said, you know, let me... Let me, the, the feedback was just that my paper was very repetitive. And I was like, yeah, it probably is repetitive. But then I, after like reading the comment, I said, you know, let me sit down and like read this from this perspective. Like they gave me this feedback. Let me see what it's about. And I read through it and yeah, it's a pretty bad paper. <laughs> and um, I just was very uh, humbled in like just this 10th graders like comments and how, how true they were. So. Um, very this is very small but my grandmother is here visiting as she does for like a month at a time every few months and it's really easy just to try to disregard a lot of things she says um, or just like assume the worst I guess and so I tried to realize like I need to honor her and respect her opinion or I just take things she says instead of just brushing them off and so I feel like I was a little bit more gracious this past week when I was spending time with her um, have more fun All right, let's look at John chapter 3. To enter God's kingdom, we must recognize our deep spiritual need for rebirth, which can only be accomplished by the supernatural sovereign work of the Holy Spirit within our hearts. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again and he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? 
Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. <clears throat> we talked about the, the need to be uh, reborn in this passage. We talked about understanding the process. Um, but we, we talked specifically about um, the sovereignty behind some of this, that, um, that for salvation to really occur, it, it requires the Holy Spirit working and moving, uh, oftentimes in ways that we don't always understand. Um, and sometimes in ways that, that we doubt that, that it could have. Um, and so what I want to do, just kind of an application point for this, is I want us to, I want to lead you in a time of prayer, but I want all of us to spend some time individually as I'm praying, praying for people in your life that you would consider um, the, the hard cases, people that, that you would say, man, I definitely see the fact that the new birth would have to happen, some, something supernatural, because otherwise there's just nothing changing in this person's heart. Um, and so I want, all of us have people like that. And so I want you to spend some time praying for those people as I pray. Um, there's also people that we know who we would consider, for lack of a better term, a, a shallow case type situation. Somebody who professes to be a believer, but doesn't really show evidence of the new birth. You know, if we're talking about supernatural work and there's always evidence of that, you know, we talked about the wind, the wind blows and it leaves evidence of where it's blown. Um, that you would not doubt the presence of a tornado if you saw the aftermath of a tornado. You couldn't control the tornado. You may not even been able to predict the tornado, but you could certainly tell where the tornado had been. Um, and so we've talked about the fact that there's some shallow cases of belief in John where people respond, but it doesn't really take root. And, and all of us know people like that too that are currently in a state where they are claiming Jesus, which sometimes make them a very hard case as well. They don't see a need to be saved, because they believe that they are saved. Um, and so I want us to maybe envision some people as well in our lives that fit that, that mold too and, and spend some time praying for them. And so I want to lead us in that uh, just briefly here um, as we've been talking about the new birth um, and, and just pray that, that God would work and move in some of the lives of, of people that we know that fit some of these cases. So let's pray together. God, as we come to you this morning and, and we continue to talk about our study in John, Father, we don't want to be guilty of, of just making this a, a classroom-type setting where we're strictly talking about theological concepts and processes and, and missing the fact that there are people in our life that need to experience this. And so, God, as we see this conversation play out between Jesus and Nicodemus, we recognize that the things that Jesus has said to Nicodemus are things that need to be said to people in our life as well. God, we, we, we know people who are so resistant to you. They, they are completely turned off to the church. They are completely turned off to the gospel. They've been hurt or burned in the past. They're, they're, they're rationally believing that that they're good enough if there is a God to be accepted by that God based on the way they've lived their life. God, that could be um, grandparents, that could be parents, that could be spouses, that could be children, that could be coworkers, 
aunts, uncles. God, I know that as, as all of us in here are praying, different people are coming to our mind, people who don't know you, and without the Holy Spirit, they will never know you. And so, Father, we acknowledge that. And, God, we also acknowledge that sometimes we don't, we don't even pray and believe that you could do that work in their life because they're so resistant. And so, God, we do pray that, that the wind would blow and that the new birth would occur in their lives God, help us to be obedient as you've called us to in sharing the gospel with these people. Help us to realize that, that, that we're not measured by our ability to convert, that you've never called us to that responsibility because we're incapable of generating that type of response. So God, help us to see that our role is to take the gospel and that ultimately the Holy Spirit is the one who, who recreates and, and makes life in places where there's death and darkness. God, we know people as well who are in this category of people who believe you and follow you when, when you're doing things that please them, but they're not committed to aligning their lives with your word. They're not committed to walking in the spirit and, and resisting the flesh. They're people who don't exhibit a lot of evidence of new birth. God, protect us from being judgmental towards those type of people as they may be believers who are just immature and need to grow. But God, help us not to justify and excuse people, therefore not sharing the gospel with them because we, we accept their profession of faith from years ago. God, help us to recognize that those people may still be under condemnation and may still need to be exposed to the gospel. And so God, help us to not... Um, excuse somebody because we want to believe that they're a Christian. God, give us wisdom and insight in knowing how to share with those type of people. And God, we pray that you'd bring them to salvation as well. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, <clears throat> John chapter 3, verses 9 through 21. Believing the truth and life-changing power of God's word, we can rejoice over a God who extends salvation based on his self-sacrificing love rather than our good works, giving us reason to seek exposure in the light versus cowering in the darkness. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. As we talked about this week, uh, we talked about what um, responsibility we have to, to believe the things that we can now, that 
Um, there may be things that remain confusing, but Jesus rebukes Nicodemus for not believing the things that, that he should have already believed as a teacher of Israel. And so there are certainly things that we ought to believe today as we continue to mature in our faith. We talked about uh, the remembering aspect of the, our salvation being about faith and not performance, that all the people who looked at that serpent, uh, that bronze serpent in the wilderness, every single one of them was saved in that manner. They, they, were, they were spared and they were healed regardless of how much complaining and grumbling they had done. The worst complainer and the least complainer were, were spared the exact same way. And that's the same for the gospel, that the worst sinners, the ones who were guilty of the most crimes, the most heinous, gross crimes, they still get saved by faith in Jesus Christ. As much as the, the church-going moral individual who, who, from our perspective, maybe needs a lot less Jesus than this person does, right? We need equal amounts of Jesus because we are dead in our sins, we are under God's condemnation, and we cannot be saved by our performance. Sometimes that's hard for us to remember. Sometimes we start to make judgments like we are the judge as to who we believe is saved and not saved, who we believe needs the gospel and who doesn't need as much of the gospel. This passage reminds us that we equally need the gospel regardless of of our performance, right? Um, we talked about the great expression that, that God gives us through the sacrifice of Jesus, that he doesn't have to outdo himself. He's given us the great expression of love. If he never does another thing for us, we should never question his love for us because he's given us the greatest example of his love through Christ, uh, which should cause us to come out of the darkness and live in the light, to not cower in the darkness, not hang on to our sin, but to desire the change that comes through the new birth. And so just kind of wrapping up this section, I wanted to just give you an opportunity, and there may not be any questions here, but because this passage is so important, I mean, this is the gospel, this is the new birth, this is how we experience salvation. I just wanted to see if there's any questions about anything that we've talked about over the past couple of weeks with Nicodemus, the conversation about the new birth, anything that needs a little bit of further clarification. I'd love to, to try to do that for you, and if I can't do it in this context, I can definitely get with you later and try to clarify some of that. But just any questions that maybe have come about in your mind that, that are unresolved in regards to this passage. Because it's such an important passage, I don't want to take for granted that we've all understood what we need to understand because we do need to believe what's been presented to us from this passage. Any questions at all? <clears throat> Remember, I told you a great resource to to read outside of what we've been studying is that book, Finally Alive, by John Piper. It gives a lot of additional insight into what we even talk about when we mean new birth and regeneration. All right, let's jump then to uh, John chapter 3, verse 22. This is our last sermon from last week. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anin near Salim because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not been put yet in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification, and they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive any one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. 
The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to all he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son, and he has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. We talked about the humility that John the Baptist shows in this passage, that in order to bring uh, God glory through our humility, we must see our success through the lens of God's sovereignty while embracing our role to glorify Jesus and bring others to him through the life God has designed for us. So that concept of humility here, what we're saying is that um, we stay humble when we recognize that any good thing that we accomplish, any good thing that happens to us, anything at all is of God, that he gives that to us, right? Now, all the, all the bad things that happen to us, all the trials and, and, and whatnot, God's, God's over those things as well, right? But in this passage specifically, John's, the, John's disciples are concerned and they're saying, whoa, 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 we're being eclipsed here by Jesus, right? Like our ministry was kind of the, the show to be a part of. It was the one to come and see. And now people are starting to, to go over here, right? Like we had the number one movie and now we've been eclipsed by the next number one movie is, is how they're kind of expressing this. And John just steps back and says, look, anything that we've experienced ministry-wise, any, anything that we've seen, any effectiveness, any, any growth that we've seen, I mean, that comes directly from God. That comes directly from God. And so kind of thinking in context of this church, like our church may see growth and it may see periods where we're not growing numerically, right? Like we may see periods where, where we're just adding to our numbers and then other times where we're not. Um, both situations God's in control of, right? Whether, whether another church plant were to move into this area and start growing at rates that we've never seen before here, that, that we, don't, we don't have to fall prey to comparing our situations to others and, and worrying about our own status, that, that we can be very content and be very humble in the aspects that, that any good thing that's given, God gives that. So when it's happening for somebody else, we can rejoice about that, right? So in particularly, not the spiritual realm necessarily, but in the, the secular realm, when we see coworkers that are experiencing promotions, that should not spark jealousy within us, even if you've been working as hard, if not harder, than they have, that God appoints people how he wants to. And so we can rejoice over other people and what God is doing and giving to them without growing discontent or jealous about what we perceive that he's not giving to us. Um, that's certainly the perspective that John the Baptist has here. Um, we talked about embracing our role to be a glorifier, that whatever life God chooses to give you, your job is to glorify him, to see him increase and to see yourself decrease. And last week, we talked about the joy that comes from seeing people saved from God's wrath, that John the Baptist found great joy in that, even if he wasn't given the credit for it, even if he wasn't attached to the movement where people were coming to know Jesus. There for a while, man, he was the show. People were coming and, and being baptized and repenting and, and changing, and he was kind of leading that movement. And now, now properly so, Jesus is, is, is being the one who is, who is being come to. And we see that earlier in John 1 where John's like, my disciples should even go and follow him, 
right? So great joy in seeing people saved from God's wrath. <clears throat> the application last week was to identify some factors that would prevent you from being described as a humble person and to try to address one specific area over this past week. Um, again, maybe nobody's comfortable sharing on this piece, but I did want to use it as a reminder. But if there's anybody that would like to share here, something that you intentionally saw in last week's sermon and then tried to do this week or make some adjustments this week, um, again, not that we want to be known as humble people for our own glory, but we said last week that humble people typically bring great glory to God because they're less concerned about themselves and more concerned about him. So anything maybe this week that, that you could kind of look back on, I know that almost sounds maybe counterproductive. Let me talk to you about my humility this week. But because of the fact that we're seeking to be faithful to apply, I'd love to hear maybe some feedback on ways that maybe you were convicted last week and maybe some ways that you've tried to attack that area this week. Yeah, last week sermon, um, the way it was presented was very convicting. Um, because I've known to be humble. I mean, that's an attribute that uh, as Christians we want to attain. But I was very convicted last week because I was questioning myself, am I humble? I was like, I feel like I am. Like, maybe. But then I, then you then you said, why are you humble because you want to be known as a, a humble person? Are, are, are you being humble so other people will look at you as a humble person? Or are you being humble? Is, is your humility, one, from God, and two, like, toward, is it going to God? Like, do you desire to be a humble person because you want to glorify God and what he's done in you? And that is what messed me up because I was like, dang, like, I just want to be humble because I want to look humble. Like, I, want to, I want to be known as a humble person. I want to be prideful, you know, whether it's success in business or success in work or family or whatever it is. I want to be known as a guy that boasts his chest. And that's not the point. The point is we want to be humble to glorify our God and what he's done so that we can point people to him. And that really messed me up last week because I was... That's not where I was at. So this week I prayed that in situations where I encounter people or wherever I go, that, that God would continue to remind me that my humility is to point people to Him. Like, there is nothing. Like, I can look back in my past and I can see the dirtiness therein, and there's nothing to be prideful about. So what in the world would I want to be? Like, there's just nothing there. I have no reason to take any credit or pride in myself because I know who I am without Christ. So it, it, I'm very grateful for last week. I shared that with me and Justin when we were working this week. I was like, man, last week's sermon was, I mean, I still can't get over it. I still think about it. I've listened to it multiple times. And yeah, God's messed me up through that sermon. I mean, really, that was a tough one. Because it was like, I look at John, and he's got this ministry going. And then his disciples asking this hard question, like, hey, why are the folks going over there with him? And then John just shuts them off. And he's like, gives them this full detailed list of this is by God, this is for God, this is everything <coughs> goes to God. And I'm like, I would not have said that. I would not. I've probably been one of those guys like, why are they going over there? Like, <laughs> we're doing it right over here. Like, I would have probably been that guy. And that, I mean, I'm very grateful for last week because um, God's done a lot in my heart. I, I mean, I don't have any examples of why, where I'm making improvements. <laughs> but I do, I do know 
that I am convicted. I'm praying for God to really reveal some ways for me to carry out how to point people to Him through humility, biblical humility. That's awesome. This this seems really silly, especially in comparison to that. But <laughs> mine mine uh, side gig with the online stuff over the last couple of years has seen a lot of growth that I've tried to intentionally be humble about when people ask me, like, what is the reason for your growth? Like, pointing people to the Lord, being like, hey, he's the only reason that I can do that. And I feel, felt good about that until the people that I started helping that were asking questions started to grow and eclipse me in the things that they were doing. And so um, there was one particular person uh, that I've been struggling with for a couple months just because I've been watching him take things that I started off helping him with and now use them to find much more success than I have. And last week was just a reminder, I haven't done anything really necessarily outwardly to um, to combat this, but last week was a good reminder that if God is the source for all growth, then he's the source for that guy's growth too. And so it was a, it was a humbling reminder for me to just get over it and let it go, especially because this is so silly in the long term. Um, but um, yeah, from the biggest areas to the smallest areas, it's a it's a good reminder that when we see growth in other people, that we should rejoice in that as well because I mean, it's coming from the same guy. Um, so I had a couple big meetings this past week with some of my leadership, and then even their leadership all in the same room, and. Um, just before I went in there to present, just kind of question myself on what my motivation was and questioning how I wanted to be viewed and why I wanted to be viewed that way. Um, so it really freed me, honestly, during that time from trying to live up to a reputation that I had conjured up for myself and for how I wanted to be viewed and allowed me to just be myself and to be who God has made me and use the gifts that he's given me instead of trying to conjure up some persona in front of these people that once I created that perception of myself in front of them, I would have had to continue to live out. Um, and I'd have to be changed to that type of personality or that persona instead of just being who I am and displaying those gifts that he had given me. Um, kind of freeing myself from from um, from that bondage to that reputation. Um, so it's something that like I have struggled with wanting to push my work forward in that um, example of the servants filling it up all the way and seeking to serve the Lord in that way and not letting my worldly desires or aspirations get intertwined in that. And go before I go into that situation, separating that out and say, I'm going to use the gifts that you've given me to the best of my ability for you, regardless of what the outcome is, um, and to be okay and satisfied with if there is any type of, hey, great job at the end of this or not. Because I know that there is a great job ultimately at the end of this that I'm really looking forward to and longing for. Um, and so just wanting to view my role as husband, as father, and as employee 
from a long-term sustainable growth versus an instant type of growth um, in the eyes of, of man. So, This has been good to hear. Good to hear ways that God's working in your life, ways that he's using his word to impact you. And I want to encourage you to, to keep meditating on some of these points that we've talked about today and, and continuing to seek to apply them um, in your life. As we've started the last few application Sundays, I want to give you kind of an update church-wise, and we're going to do this real quick, and then we'll partake of the Lord's Supper and we'll be done. Um, but kind of give you an update on on where we're at vision-wise, things that we're involved in, and, and ways that you're able to partner with us uh, just briefly. Um, so on, in the back, we've got our board's long-term vision and then like the immediate steps to try to get us there. Um, we've had people piloting some of our opportunities with the um, uh, fostering, uh, and so those foster classes have wrapped up, and so we're going to be, uh, as elders, meeting and discussing next steps to take in regards to do we expand upon some of this stuff, do we go in a different direction, um, that type of thing. So keep praying for us. The big thing for everybody in here is our partnership with the CPS, and so we've got the fun, the fundraiser uh, gala coming up on Thursday this week, um, and so we've got some spots that are still available, and let me tell you just real quick, audibly, who, who I have on my end as far as being signed up, and I recognize that some people are iffy this week, uh, like myself and Lauren, depending on when our child comes. Um, I know Tyson and Sarah, or Tyson at least, with soccer. Sarah, are you still planning to be there either way? Okay, so this is who I have. Just real quick, if you're not on this list, you can be added to this list. We'd love to have you. We've got room. If you're on this list and not able to come, please see me afterwards so that I can I can make that adjustment so we know how many more people to invite because we are going to invite some people outside of our church. But um, I've got Jesse and Cortland. I've got Adam and Jen and uh, Diana. I've got Tyson and Sarah. I've got Anna. Marcus and Renee, Jessica and Alex, Topi and Jordan, Bobby and Yvonne, Cody and Jeremy, uh, and then Cody's parents, me and Lauren, Terry, Renee, and Daniel and Nicole. So those are the people that I, I think have signed up and have not told me otherwise. I know Ben and Andrew are still trying to figure out if they can make it work or not. No? Okay. Um, so if you're not on this list, we're not planning on you coming. So I need to know from you so we can make sure that you have a spot at the table um, if you're on this list and not coming, please or please let me know so that we can adjust and try to get somebody to fill your spot at the table as well. Okay. Um, all right. So so that's a big thing that we need some feedback on. Second thing, um, we had told you guys to be praying about taking the facility caretaker spot from Marcus as we move closer to him. Uh, Lord willing, becoming an elder of our church, we wanted to take the piece off of him having to get here early and stay late to lock and unlock doors. Working, worrying about um, maintenance issues within our, our buildings. And so uh, John Mark approached us and, and asked to, to be responsible for that. So John Mark's going to be taking that from Marcus. So we're really excited about him and his willingness to serve in that capacity. Um, we want you to continue to pray about Marcus becoming uh, an elder of our church. Just to give you two dates, April 28th, that's in two weeks, we're going to be having a formal Q&A time here with him so that he can express some things to you. Is that right? May 5th. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. April 28th is our four-week countdown to his ordination. Okay, so that's the formal time for you to come and talk with us if, if you have any concerns about Marcus becoming an elder. May 5th is when we will formally examine him before the church for you guys, 
And then we plan to, unless the Lord leads differently, to have his ordination on May 26th, which is the day before Memorial Day. And then we would have the Memorial Day pool party at uh, Ben and Andrea's afterwards as kind of a celebration. So um, keep those things in mind. Uh, We want the feedback from you. Uh, We want you to continue to pray. Have him over to your house. Uh, personally examine him. You're, you're going to be affirming him as an elder of this church, which means you'll come under his leadership. And so we want everyone to feel great about that. Um, continue to pursue leadership qualifications yourself. Pray for more leaders to be raised up by God. Uh, continue to invite our second-time visitors to a meal. I've heard a lot of feedback of people who've been doing this, and so it's exciting to, to see that. I know there's been some others that, that some of you are trying to connect to, and schedules have kind of not worked out, and so there's been some cancellations. But just know if you're visiting our church, we want to get to know you. We want to connect with you. We want to eat a meal with you outside of church, whether that's going to lunch on a Sunday, whether that's having you over to houses. We want to connect with you in that way. So um, please know that, that we're, we're seeking to do that, and we've asked all in our church to kind of be a part of that right now. Um, and then as visitors are coming, continue to encourage them to visit uh, the McLeods and the Conaway C groups as we seek to add to those groups uh, initially next. Uh, continue to pray for our upcoming meetings with David Lindsay and our lease situation um, as we look to, to solidify where we're going to be over the next several years. Uh, pray for our uh, elders to have wisdom as we look to accommodate growth that will be coming. And then lastly, in regards to our missions, continue to pray for Connor as he prepares to leave for the summer, Monday, May 13th. And I put Monday, Connor, because your, your mom told me you're not allowed to leave the day before on Mother's Day. So even though you could leave on Mother's Day, you have to leave on Monday, May 13th, okay? Um, and then continue to pray for us as we seek to add to our missions giving this year, that God would clarify that for us. We had uh, Stephen and uh, Jennifer Folker come, who are going back to the Czech Republic, John Mark's brother. We want to continue to pray for them as they make that move back in the month of May. Okay, we're going to close um, with the Lord's Supper. We're going to have one closing song as a piece of that, um, and then we're going to invite you to partake in the Lord's Supper in the back Um, as a celebration, as an opportunity for remembrance, as an act of worship. We do this on our application Sundays because ultimately the Lord's Supper is a public display, a public demonstration, a public confession that that we are still believing in Jesus. We are still believing in his his life-saving work, that he came to live a perfect life for us, that he came to die a sacrificial death for us as well. And so this does not save us. It does not keep us saved. It is for believers. It is for those who have been saved, though. And so we would ask that anybody who's here who is not a believer to refrain from partaking. Um, But you do not have to be a member of our church to partake. And so all of our visitors who are believers are invited to partake of the Lord's Supper this morning as well. We believe that these things represent what Jesus did for us here on this earth. We don't believe that it becomes his body or his blood. We believe that it represents his body and his blood. And so the, the bread represents his perfect life, his, his life that was given for us. He, the, the juice represents the blood that, that absorbed God's wrath um, by him standing in place of us. And so we celebrate that this morning. Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 11 um, that we do this until Jesus comes back. And so this is a reminder to us as well that what we see around us is not the end, that, that we are anticipating something far greater a new life that will be inaugurated when Jesus comes back. And so we do that together today. So I'm going to pray, encourage you to pray, um, reflect, worship personally, uh, confess uh, as needed as well, um, realizing that uh, we don't partake of the Lord's Supper if we had a good week either. Um, We certainly partake of the Lord's Supper because we've had bad weeks as well. Um, And we do so with a right attitude by confessing our sins as needed, 
and, and proclaiming that Jesus is our source of salvation, not our performance. So let's pray together, and then we'll take, and then we'll sing as a closing song. Father, we thank you for our time together this morning. We thank you for the, the benefit of conversation. Um, God, we know that it helps spurs us on and, and keeps us believing in you. And so I thank you for the ways that you're working in, in each person's heart here this morning. God, as we partake of this, this supper that you've given to us, we thank you for the, the visual reminder of our salvation. As we partake of this bread and, and dip it within the juice, God, we're reminded of your life and your death two things that are far superior than any life that we could live and any death that we could die. Uh, Both would fall far short of allowing us to escape from hell. But God, both on your account, allows us to be set free from condemnation, to be set free from wrath. And so God, we praise you and thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that we can remember and celebrate what he has done for us. And God, by partaking this morning, we are proclaiming that we are still saying yes to Jesus. We are expressing a desire to place our faith and trust continually in him as our source of salvation. We thank you and praise you for that opportunity this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.